Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us the knowledge of not only our own depth of sin, but more importantly, the height of your grace that you have shown us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank and praise you for working this faith in our hearts and pray tonight that you would stir this up once again in us that we may truly be branches on the vine of Christ. We ask this all in his saving name. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God's grace and kindness and forgiveness is yours through this Savior. Amen. Our lesson for tonight's meditation is taken from 1 Thessalonians, St. Paul's letter by inspiration, the first chapter, beginning with verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth, and we pray now that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. When I was about a five- or six-year-old boy, uh, the basement of my church was divided into about four little Sunday school rooms. And I remember that in one of those little cubicles, uh, they often had pictures, large, almost poster-sized pictures, uh, beautiful old paintings of Bible stories. And one I can still remember uh, was up for quite a while, and uh, it always struck me. It's the image of the prophet Nathan coming to talk to King David, who's sitting on his throne. And you can see by the body image, the, uh, the, the body motion of David, that he's slumped down, feeling bad. And the prophet Nathan is standing right next to him with his fingers pointed right at his face. And underneath was the words, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. And this, of course, is the scene right after, right after Nathan has come to confront him of his sins of adultery and impregnating um, Bathsheba, taking a wife of another man and then putting him off at war to be killed. All of the sins that we find in that story. And David appears to that point to be kind of callous about it. And now God sends a prophet Nathan to him to confront him of his sin. And while he's confronting him, he, he teaches David a story. He has him look at a story of another scenario and David is very clearly able to see the wrong in that and makes a judgment about it. And that's the point then when Nathan turns the law on him and he points right at him. He says, thou art the man. You're the one that has done this. Whatever sin you can point out there, it's much bigger in you right now. And that image is just fried in my brain of seeing that, that picture. What, a, what an accusing finger the law can point at us. And sometimes it just comes from our own consciences. Sometimes it just comes from our own knowledge of our guilt and things that maybe nobody else knows a thing about, that nobody else will ever find out about. But 
our own consciences can point that finger of accusing law at us and really strike deep into our consciences. You know, David thought he had gotten away with that sin. He thought nobody else would know about it. And, uh, and he thought he probably had fooled everyone with all of this. But we're told the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God looks through the, all the deception that we can possibly put up all around us to cover up our sins. Nothing, nothing worse than God's law penetrating that right down inside of you and me. And sometimes that, that accusing finger of the law can get pretty heavy on people. I remember years ago talking to a distant relative who had fallen into a sin in her youth and was now raising her teenage uh, children and said that she was seeing and having to talk to them about the same kind of sin. And she said, it's almost like it comes back and stings you more uh, than it ever did even back then when it happened to her. And being reminded over and over of that sinfulness. And she said, I can still feel so guilty, sometimes stronger now in adulthood than I felt when I was a teenager. David goes on to say, day and night, he says to God, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. You almost get the, the impression of God's law pushing down onto his chest, crushing him. And, and maybe you've had a time like that too where, where something you did just comes back and bothers your conscience over and over again and you can almost feel a pressure on, on your chest that can just drive us almost into the ground. But what a wonderful message we have from St. Paul here tonight and throughout the scriptures that our hope of getting to heaven is not dependent on how well we live our lives and how well we have kept God's law. Uh, what a wonderful thing we have in the gospel. Because just think of the terror you and I would be living under if it weren't for grace if it weren't for this merciful God. Just think of the accusing. I mean, it's bad enough even when we know it. But just think how accusing that law would be and crushing on us if there was no cross, if there was no grace, if there was no forgiveness that we know we have so plentifully and full in Christ Jesus our Lord. If, if it was left in any way up to something in me or in you and how well we've lived our life, how well we've kept those commandments, it would be terrifying. Even if God said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to choose two minutes of your life. I'm going to pick out two minutes of your life and that will play into the equation of whether or not you come to heaven. Just think how scared you'd be. That just shows how inadequate our lives really are. And it shows how necessary God's grace is. It shows how necessary this beautiful doctrine of salvation by grace alone truly is for us. I've talked to a number of people and some of them students here on campus too who've grown up under a religious system that taught them that at least part of what's going to get them to heaven is how well they live their lives. And they live in uncertainty. They live in terror. I would too. You would too. Anytime you inject man into the equation for getting us to heaven, anytime you put something from me or you into that equation, you take away certainty. You take away comfort. You take away uh, having a, a joyful hope ahead of you. 
And you suddenly put uncertainty and doubt and fear into that equation. And that's why this teaching of the gospel, of what Christ has come to do for us, that he's paid for it all and done it all for you. I don't care who you are, how bad your sins are. God doesn't, doesn't care how deeply you have fallen into those sins. His grace still covers them. And that's why those who are in Christ, the Bible says so beautifully, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you go back to your dorm room tonight or your home, just make sure you carry that with you back to your place. And when you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just know that. Just hold on to that. It's such a precious verse. Now, when this wonderful truth of the gospel touches our lives, when it goes down and comforts us with that beautiful grace. Grace is not just some theoretical thing. It's not just some system that we can study in books. But it really touches people's hearts. It touches their lives. And I'll give you an example of that. Many years ago, I was a pastor of a congregation where a young man had fallen into a sin that was probably going to become public to at least some people. And uh, I went to meet with him because he was so sorry about it and he felt so bad about it. And now some news was going to get out about this. And he told me, he had been in church now for about a month since this all happened. And he told me, it's interesting that I used to know the gospel before all of this, but now I just can't wait for it in the sermons. I cannot wait for it in the hymns and in the liturgy. The, uh, the gospel is so precious when we realize the depth of our sin. It becomes so wonderful and, and so precious to us. And, and it affects people's hearts. It goes and touches their lives. And that's exactly what St. Paul is talking about in our text. St. Paul is, is writing to the Thessalonian Christians up in northern Greece, and he's saying to them that he, he loves to see the fruits of this faith, of this gospel, that has now reached their lives and uh, among many of the members that he has served. And if you look at Paul's epistles, this is a common theme. It's usually right in the first chapter, sometimes within the first 10 verses. I'll just read you a few. Colossians, listen, he says, We always thank God because we have heard of your faith in the gospel. Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you for your partnership in the gospel. 2 Thessalonians, we ought to always thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more. The, the gospel not only brings comfort and joy to the individual who now has this worked in their heart, but fellow Christians love to see it in each other. Fellow Christians love to see that fruit of that faith that God the Holy Spirit works inside of us. And it has a transformational nature to it, a transformational power that God has chosen to attach to it. Listen to what Paul writes. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So God doesn't simply bring you words and put them in front of you for you to make a decision the way you might go on the internet and pick a gift out for someone. God doesn't operate that way in the spiritual realm. He comes with his Holy Spirit and breaks our dead hearts and gives them life to be able to grab this gospel, to, to be able to grab this rescue rope that God has given us from heaven. And that is the precious work of his son. St. Bernard, 
uh, back in the Middle Ages, used to have a, an illustration of that, that he said God has lowered down this rescuing rope from heaven and the work of the gospel and everything and gives us now the gift of faith to grab onto that and hold on to it. And when we tug on it, he says, we want to make sure it's secure in heaven. And we can know it is because it's attached to God and it's attached to his promises. If it was attached to anything else, it would fall apart. But we can be secure in it because we know it is attached to our Heavenly Father in heaven. And that's why Paul uses words like a deep conviction in us. That we can be so positive and so sure of our salvation. It's a Greek word that means to have assurance, to have certainty. About 15 years ago, in my neighborhood, uh, there was a house that was just about ready to be condemned. In fact, the city had put a note on the door, big orange note, that uh, once a family had moved out, hadn't had any repairs for years, and it said, this house um, is uninhabitable right now, and so on. A couple came along and bought it, for just a minimal amount of money and um, decided to go in a young couple and fix the whole place up. And through about two years, they just brought a renovation to this house that was just amazing and beautiful. It's still one of the prettiest houses on our block. It's got kind of a gingerbread look to it. It's just a beautiful house. And it's such a picture of how when new inhabitants come into a dwelling, uh, they, can, they can just from the inside bring such a different uh, look to the whole place and transform it. That's what God the Holy Spirit does in the hearts of believers. When he enters our spiritually dead hearts and gives us a love for Christ and the gospel and a, a, a cherishing in us, a treasuring in us for the forgiveness of our sins and the fact that we're going to heaven, it transforms us. It, it gives us a new mind and a new heart toward the things of God and the things of his kingdom. We still struggle with our sins, yes, but there's now this desire in us to live according to God's commands and to love him and what he wants. Last week I quoted the hymn by the Moravian hymn writer, Petrus Herbert. Faith is a living power from heaven that grasps the promise God hath given. But then he goes on, a trust that cannot be o'erthrown, fixed heartily in Christ alone. It's kind of ironic in a way that those in this world who by God's grace are saved purely by his doing, purely by his work in us through the work of the gospel, that the ones where that touches their lives, God in heaven loves to look down at their lives and observe their good works. Just like, just like the grapes on a vine that a, vine, a person that owns a vineyard would love to see. The branch that he has attached to the vine of Christ and given them faith in that precious knowledge of Christ will also produce the good works, the fruits in our lives. And God loves to look down into the lives of his children and see that. And it happened with David, even though he had gone into the depth of his sin, but now forgiven, he says to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. May that always be the prayer, our prayer, of God's church. Amen.
commandments, and also that we, being defended by you from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. 